Welcome to Jubilations, a Judaic podcast intended to educate, inspire, and motivate your hungry Jewish mind. Each week, Jubilations dives into the minds of influential Jewish people, speaking powerful words of wisdom. really lucky today to have Jill Hartman on the show with me in The Podular. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Jill. My pleasure. <laughs> uh, make sure you check out backroomstudios.com. Uh, like, follow, and share us on Facebook. Um, please share us with your friends. We need to be more out there. And check us out on iTunes, Spreaker, iHeart, SoundCloud, everything in between. Um, make sure you check out, we have like this amazing new podcast that Jill knows this person. Um, it is Rachel Corman's new show. Yes. Yeah. Fabulous new show, uh, Inside the Artist, and she gives her listeners an inside view of artists and singers and songwriters and musicians and producers and actors and writers and filmmakers, and she hears about their inspirations, their motivations, and their goals. So make sure you check that out, and you can go to InsideTheArtist.com to find that, or she is also on iTunes, which is fabulous. So one of the things that I really thought it was important for us to talk about is today is Macy's last day downtown Minneapolis. Yeah. And it's kind of sad. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, you're talking to sort of a non-shopper. Oh, are you? But what it calls to mind is that my my mother's friend used to do um, ads for Macy's and she used to write jingles. Uh, she's in her late 90s or maybe 100 now. In fact, she's the one when she was in the ad business who wrote Raid Kills Bugs Dead. Oh my God. By the way. Wow. Um, Irene... She was okay. my mom's best friend when they were kindergartners. Okay. They maintained contact all these years. We're dear friends. So yeah. so she's still alive? She's still alive. Where does I she think, live? Do you know where she lives? I think in northern Minnesota. And so that's not to your question of Macy's, but shopping. And Macy's calls to mind Irene. It is. Borden. Irene Borden. Borden. Got a lot of good oh, stories. I love that. <laughs> so, so, and as a woman, imagine how interesting that was, that she... Like, I can't imagine that that was... Me either. I mean, she's old, so that was a long time ago. Right. Wait, so she did it for well, Dayton's? You know, did she I do it for... I said Macy's, and I wonder yeah, but if I it was Dayton's. Mean. Well, it's the same... To us, it's the same thing. But I mean, I know she did a, a shopping show. It would be, welcome, whatever it was, Dayton's shoppers. This is Irene with... You know, and she'd talk wow. about makeup and things. Yeah, it was really... It, it okay, went over the PA. that's kind of cool. Yeah. That's kind of cool. I'll put you in touch with her. I love that. I have a friend that I met at First Avenue. Mm-hmm. She's like, let's go there. Oh, it was no. such a joke. Anyways, but I'm still sad because it's a beautiful piece yeah, of property. Yeah, it's an I mean, icon. I, it is. And I know they're going to do a really cool thing with it, but it's still mm-hmm. just the thought of it. I think every time another thing closes for us, it's yeah. really weird. I'm sad at the loss of yeah. retail businesses, brick and mortar businesses. Yeah. I like that. I like to touch stuff yes. more than shopping online. Yes. Um we used to go downtown. I'm not a shopper, but we used to take the bus downtown a lot as children with my grandmother. And that's what I remember. What you remember. Donaldson's yeah. was a store. And I, I know my grandma used to meet her friends for lunch at Woolworth's, but she thought everything was overpriced. That's so, so she funny. would just have a cup of tea, <laughs> and then she'd go to Donaldson's and buy a plate on clearance. And she collected all these 
kind of odds and ends plates yeah. and cups and things. I love instead it. Instead of spending it on lunch. I get it. Yeah. I get it. We never even got to have lunch there because you couldn't, it was like they didn't have any, we didn't make oh, a reservation. We mm-hmm. And we couldn't believe it. And they said that we're all booked up for the day. There's nothing. I was like, wow. I had, I wouldn't, I mean, I don't even know if I ever ate there. We because, did, yeah. Well, because I was St. Paul, my grandma right. took me to the river room. Okay. Which was in St. Paul, you know? And, and oddly, I only learned recently that store was closed. I knew they were mm. talking about it. I didn't know they actually closed it. So anyways, sadly, we are having it, but at least we have some of them. It's not like, I, I know a lot of people don't like Macy's, but I can really find good deals at Macy's. Yeah, I've not been a big fan, but I love downtown, yeah. and I like to see downtown Sad. stay vibrant. Yeah. yeah, and it's weird when you think about, you know, De- decades ago, the da- downtown was where you went shopping. Yes. There wasn't malls, really. Right. I mean, we know Southdale was one of the first, like in the That's 50s, right. right? But downtown, you wanted to go shopping, you went downtown. Mm-hmm. We you. went downtown for movies, too. That's, <gasps> That's where we'd go. Right. And I remember my friend Lori's mother used to give us each, there were three of us who would go together, a hat pin in case we were attacked by a man. So Hilarious. we each got a hat pin. I still have mine. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Like you're going to sit there and pin it I, I never knew quite what we were supposed to do, but I had. Now we get to talk about your life. <laughs> As Jill and I did a little hors d'oeuvres before we got started here, um, her life is totally different than what I knew it to be. Now, we are cousins kind of far off. Like, what are mm-hmm. we, third or fourth? Where do we land? We land, are we fourth? Well, I know my mother and your grandmother were first cousins. First cousins. Yeah. So I think it's like fourth. Yeah. But in our world, and we, we were different age were, ranges. We didn't we get to were. know each other. That's right. Yeah. And and I know your sister Lisa and Brad were always really close. Right. But I'm closer to your parents. Yes. Age. And, and you know, our years of our when we used to have our picnics are yes. kind of gone. I mean, and so mm-hmm. that was what kept us all together. And it's hard because we don't see each other, but we all are busy and it's hard to even make time. But Jill is, she is an expert in the deaf interpreting world for, I think for over 40 years, haven't you? I mean, did so you do I'm it? a sign language interpreter okay. and yeah, I was, I started learning in 72. So I've been interpreting for about 40 years. And so it wasn't a high school thing. No. In Wait, fact, oh, did you have that in high school? Excuse no, me. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah, because we did. So I, that's right. You might not have. I was thinking. Not only did we not have it in high school, but it wasn't considered, American Sign Language wasn't really named or considered a language at that time. I suppose. It's that's that right. new of a profession. Yeah. Really, just, um, so I fell into it as an 18-year-old and learned socially, and then it became a new profession, and I was in the right place at the right time and had the flexibility to move to different states and follow classes and uh, ultimately get certified and so on. It's a very different world now, but uh, it was wonderful and exciting to get into something I liked so much as a young person and to still be doing it and loving it today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What attracted you to it? How did you get started in it? I think my family uh, didn't travel, and they certainly didn't travel internationally, and there weren't other languages being spoken in our household, and I was always drawn to languages um, and drawn to people from different places. And since I couldn't go to those places, uh, when I discovered sign language, which was something that you could learn socially, locally, and 
have a lot of exposure to without going anywhere. It was a nice fit, and it was visual and gestural. I liked that. Yeah. And later I found other ways to be involved in other language communities because it, that was always a, a draw for me. Um, so that's what got me into it, and also because... I think I was interested in doing something that was meaningful, but I didn't want to be in a helping uh, profession per se. I liked that with interpreting, you're relaying information to different parties so that they conduct can conduct their own business. You're not advising, you're not consulting, you're not helping or doing any of the things I didn't really want to do, but you're facilitating by bridging the language gap between two different language groups. It just was a really nice fit for me. Um, and it's helpful. It's that helping way. people. Yeah, I love it. I, I, I love my work. I, I've i known a lot of people who've loved what they did outside of work. And uh, I've never needed so much else because my work is very fulfilling almost every day. And there's so many different areas to work in that it never gets tiring. You know. So what do you do? So tell me how you use that every day. Like, what's your actual job? Yeah, I, I've been self-employed uh, other than about two years of my adult life. And so I have a small practice, and my training is really legal interpreting, and I do a lot of work with um, uh, in disability law with discrimination cases as an interpreter. And I used to work in the courts for you know maybe 20 years, and I know... I shouldn't say no longer because who knows, I might go back. But I'm more interested in working with attorneys and, and I do a lot of work with legal aid in the Minnesota Disability Law Center. And then um, we do medical interpreting. So uh, I work for a clinic system on a contractual basis where they have several hundred deaf patients who use their system. So every day um, among my little group, we have from five to 10 appointments uh, that we're covering for medical appointments. How did you fall into, let's say, the law part of it? Like The law part I mean, of it's it, an interesting, yeah. like, how did you get into that? Right. Rather than being in a school or, you know, it's Certainly. very different. Mm-hmm. Um, in 19, well, I had some exposure, some experience, and had an opportunity to get a specialty certificate in legal interpreting. And I did that in about, I don't know, 87 or something like that. And then that year, there was a a criminal case in Wisconsin, a murder case, actually, where they needed an interpreter in uh, Ellsworth, Wisconsin. And I didn't want to go. I, I had small children. And I said, well, I'll come once. You sound like you're in a, a pickle. I'll come drive out there once. And I ended up working there for a year, uh, going back and forth to Ellsworth, wow. working on this case, where I met another interpreter who was working on a different aspect of the case. We became friends. And afterwards, we realized how much we didn't know and how much we learned and what a specialty area it was. And so we formed a partnership and then started learning more and sharing the knowledge we had gleaned on legal interpreting and then formed this uh, partnership for legal interpreting and did that for like 19 years, I guess. Were you of not of the norm that you were a, a, a hearing person that was doing interpreting? Or, I mean, is that pretty common that it's people that can hear over people that cannot hear? 
Oh, interesting you say that. And I've never had that question asked of me because it was, um, as a profession, really a hearing profession for many years. So the idea was that you you knew sign language and you knew English and you had to be able to listen to the English speaker and interpret it to the sign language user and vice versa. So you you know the idea was the hearing person could do both. Both. Yeah. But in fact, there are many many certified deaf interpreters around the country now that work in teams with hearing interpreters who have oftentimes more facility in the language, more cultural knowledge, yeah. more rapport. And so very often we work in teams with deaf interpreters. So there's hearing interpreters and deaf interpreters. And there's work for all of us, you know, in different capacities. I read a little interesting thing about um, this murder case that you did with, I believe, with your ex-husband and some other person. There were three of you that were doing this case or something. And it was... Oh, and the 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 murder um, suspect is that mm-hmm. what we he was deaf, I believe. Mm-hmm. Is that politically correct? To yeah, say it is they were to de- say deaf. deaf. Okay, it, it it's actually something that I probably would not be comfortable talking about, and it was oh, very okay. uh, it was very challenging and a lot of new issues for us. Um, it was. I thought it was interesting that they had. Yeah, what did three you learn? Of you. Oh. I thought that was really bizarre. I'm like, they had someone that was here uh, that was deaf, someone that could hear, and I think the other person probably could hear too, right? Well, and the, why? Like, I just think hey, the question is sure. more like, why did they have to have three people? Like, mm-hmm. what made them feel that it needed that much when you said <laughs> you've done the other one, where it's just you? Well, it, functionally, you know, just me, but we. We work yeah. in teams for anything that is of more than a very short duration. Okay. Because it's taxing physically and mentally. Interesting. And so one person is actively interpreting and their team is watching for errors, correcting errors, and then they're changing roles. Uh, for us, it's commonly every 20 minutes, but it really depends on the situation. And then the deaf interpreter is... Um, I wish I had a deaf interpreter sitting next to me because I'd rather they define what they do. But again, they have more facility with the cultural issues, the language, a different level of rapport. And sometimes there are reasons, there are barriers for us where a hearing interpreter just doesn't have the competencies required uh, for something very serious and very complex. And so we rely on this in, this intermediary interpreter. Um, and I see your puzzled face. Yeah, so because well, it what was happens? weird when they explained it like uh-huh. that too. It's still I'm still not really okay, cat, but maybe because I'm because I can hear, so I don't understand. Right. Picture this: that uh, there's a deaf person uh, in a lawyer's office or in a witness stand, and they're signing their responses. The deaf interpreter watches, may take notes. And it may be non-standard language. It might be a deaf immigrant who's not uh, fluent in American Sign Language. It might be somebody who learned the language late in life. Or it might be somebody who is so fluent that their abilities are just beyond ours. So the deaf interpreter watches the message, looks to us, the hearing interpreter, and signs it in standard American Sign Language to us, which we have the ability to understand. And then we will speak that message to 
the court or the lawyer, whoever's needing to receive it. And then it goes through that channel again in reverse. We'll sign it to the deaf interpreter who's got tremendous language skills and a wide range. And then they will transform the message into understandable language for whoever this individual is who might have unique language use. I think as someone that doesn't do mm-hmm. that language, um, I find it very interesting that it's it's so much more de- detailed than I would ever have imagined. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I'm starting to realize that it's like when both my daughters went to French school, mm-hmm. so they can tell what country somebody is from when they speak their French because right. there's a different... Everybody's got it. But I never would have imagined that, you know, I only learned a very small amount of, mm-hmm. of American Sign Language and I, I never would have imagined it was so detailed. And that explains it to me more and makes mm-hmm. me understand that part. Of, I just never well, would have I'm not thought a linguist, about that. but it's not an international language and there are regionalisms on top of that. Yeah. And there are different styles, just as there are different styles of speaking. And there are uh, gender differences and age, generational differences, you know, a lot of nuance. And I guess, you know, when you asked me what brought me into that, I was the one in the family who could understand all the old people with accents. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. With Yiddish accents or other accents. And sister would be saying, huh? You know, and I just was able to understand. (laughs) And so that brings us to the fact that you are one of five daughters. I am. I'm middle. (laughs) I just always found that to be so interesting. I always was like, when, when you guys would come, I'd be like, that's crazy. Like, how can somebody have that many daughters? You know, when I was young and yes. thinking, how how has that how has that been for your life? Like, when you were younger, what was that like with five? I mean, I just imagine like five girls getting their period. Oh, and the mom, all at the same time. Like, yeah, poor dad. You know, and actually, no poor dad because oh. my dad really embraced this. And if I were to only say one thing about it, I would say that. You know, it was a little embarrassing when I remember when I got my period the first time that my dad came dancing like Tevya out of the bathroom, you know, celebrating, you're a woman, you know. Oh my God. And that we were named in the synagogue <laughs> when girls really weren't being oh, named. Nice. nice. And uh, that if people would say, poor Harold, no sons, oh, you know, he didn't we were always one. my five beautiful daughters and oh. he relished it. Isn't that nice? He just really loved it. Well, he was and a great we felt guy. That. And I and I, that yeah. I totally would see. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, you know, they don't know what a son's like then. Just like I, I only have two daughters. Mm-hmm. You, my husband doesn't know what a, a boy would be like. Wouldn't even know what to do. <laughs> well, think, he was thrilled to get know? grandsons oh. and sons-in-law. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely, yep. but um, he loved his girls. Yeah, yeah. And it was great. I mean, that was your, to me. Your family was it was very cool. I always mm-hmm. thought it was very cool. How could he afford to like take care of all these girls? Like, because I always mm-hmm. think of girls of being more as the middle child. How was that? How was the feeling of that? Well. I never had a sense of being a middle child because I guess my dad, even though he was the third of four, considered himself a middle. Oh, yeah. And yeah. he had these feelings that the middle is overlooked or you know not attended to in the same way. So I think he really, being conscious of that, took care of me. You know, I love it. So I never felt that. Um, you know, he worked in the clothing in the Schmata business. You know, oh, that's and right. so. And my grandmother sewed, um, not his mother, but my mother's. And so he would 
commonly bring home a bolt of fabric, you wow. know, and either we'd all get something out of that fabric or I'd get three pieces out of it or my grandma would get a suit and cover the chair with it. Um, and they were also starting to do knockoffs. And so we'd visit at this clothing factory that he uh, worked in at one time and get to look at samples, things we liked, and then they'd make one for us. Or he'd let us go look at a department store and pick yeah. something we'd like, and then he'd wow. ask one of the ladies to make something like that for us. Um, and how he, you know, how they afforded it, I don't know, but we were happy and yeah. well cared for, and isn't it fed. amazing <laughs> that you always yeah. think about that? I think you think of that more as a parent, mm-hmm. and you're like, wow, like how did they do it? Mm-hmm. Like it seemed like it must have been so much harder then, and but. They do. They all... They They did. And I think that we entertained ourselves a lot, too. I don't remember spending a a lot of money for entertainment. You know, we would sing and play records and dance. And, you know, with so many of us, there was a part for each one of us. And we did a lot of that. That's Uh, nice, isn't it? It is. And we did. We got to be outside and run around. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't do that anymore. Right. (laughs) You worry about them too much. But we would leave, sometimes leave in the morning and not come home till at night. Mm Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Absolutely. It and is amazing. We didn't do a lot of things as a whole family, like go to a movie. He would okay. take us on dates. Oh. So one of us would go. And then That's another wonderful. time, one of us would go. Uh, wow. And to his credit, you know, when he died, we all smugly thought we were the favorite because great. he made each of us feel that oh, way. Oh, isn't that yeah, nice? Yeah, he did a good job. They oh, did a good that. job. Yeah. Oh. They did Very lucky. Job. Tell me about your mom's side of the family. Well, remember? the Bratmans. I remember her. Bro- there's a brother, at least one, right? No, my mom had one sister, Virginia. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's and her right. parents, Sam and Mary Bratman, their okay. parents, yes. uh, lived at six twenty two Russell. I remember. I remember now. You just have to like keep. Yeah, jog it. Now I have her. I can see Mary, and yeah. yep. And my grandfather was in the catering and banquet business cool. and the president of the Geneva Association of Restaurant Workers. What is that? Or was well, it? Is it still around? That's when you should have Mickey here. I bet it is still around, but for like 30 years, I just, um, I know that they set some standards for oh, that business, Awesome. but they also used to put a, uh, a banquet on every year for the newsboys and... Um, I know he's very involved in the union work, uh, but he was in the restaurant business, and my cool. grandmother was, she a was very cool. exciting and uh, kind of out there, unique person. We all adored her. It just made us laugh all the time. Isn't that nice? And sewed our clothes. I don't know if you know that my grandma, Faye, was a seamstress. You want to know how I know that? Oh, how? She made my mother's wedding dress. Oh, I, yep. Didn't they all have the same one? They uh, wore, it was Faye's, I think it was Faye, who got married first, do you remember? Well, yep. Faye was married uh, before Bernice, my parents. Okay. But that was Faye's dress. And Bernice, I think Bernice wore it too. I, I'm almost positive. I would love I think, to know if that's... We'll find out. Uh, Sheila will know. She, we've talked about this. That's, she, well, I don't know if I remember that your mom wore that yeah. dress too. All like, I know is my, my dad came home on a three-day pass before he went overseas yeah. to war. Yeah. And that Faye threw something together and put the zipper in upside down. And on the day <gasps> of the wedding, she had to okay, take out hilarious. the zipper and... and Oh, that's Reverse hilarious. it, and they got married at <laughs> I home. love it. Yeah. Maybe she was the first one. Let's find... Your sister, 
in my mind, they'll know. Yes, they'll probably they'll know, know right. for sure. So she was. So when Cecil would go overseas, that's how she made a living. Before they opened the uh. deli, she was a seamstress and mostly wedding dresses, I think. But so then I my mom know. was always made our clothes, a lot of our clothes. I didn't know that. And then of course, in turn, I really? <laughs> was really into making. Um, the three, me and my two daughters matching outfits. I was really into uh, that. And they would like, they're only a year apart. So then they would, um, they, I remember when they got older, they're like, well, aren't we going to all match? And I'm like, no, I think we should be we done should with stop that. now. Uh, <laughs> but so I so appreciate that kind of stuff because mm-hmm. that's kind of a fallen art. I mean, I, it is. I did just recently buy my older, um, daughter, a sewing machine because she clearly she does like to sew, mm-hmm. which is nice. And then I actually have a, a eight year old niece that I just bought a machine for at Hanukkah because she really enjoys sewing. Will you teach her? More? I did. I showed her mm-hmm. some, but she kind of she is. If you can imagine, at five she was on YouTube making like little motorized cars with batteries. So this is one of those. So she, I knew that she didn't need me for much on that. Mm-hmm. She definitely. I, we've gone she through knows a how few to things, but mm-hmm. she's really good at like pick, doing the YouTube thing, which mm-hmm. I think. So cool. I remember wanting uh, a ball to play with, being at my grandma's house, being little, and there wasn't one. I remember her making one out of string and pulling the tongues out of old leather shoes and making it a leather ball. No. Absolutely. I still have that one. Okay, that's crazy. Yeah. And I remember her taking down curtains to make a dress. Ah, see. Uh, You know. So, Isn't that amazing? That's all entertainment, oh, you know, and it's it's that. a way of using time. And yeah, and now we're just it, stuck on the computer. It's kind of true. <laughs> it's I, sad. I want that to yeah, swing I, back it, a little. What were we just um we were just discussing the fact that when you used to try to figure out what to do, it, like you'd have to find a paper or you'd have to you know, it's mm-hmm. so it's so different. Like we saved Every, things, we buttons did. or I still you know, scraps buttons. of fabric. So <laughs> I do I. <laughs> God forbid we might need it all someday. Well, let me tell you something. I don't know about you, but I can't tell you how many times my daughters have said, hey, I need this. Yeah, no problem. I got uh, it. You know, Because we do that. Yes. And you know what? I think that for people like us to do that, our kids will still do that. Mm-hmm. Like totally. So you have three children. I do. And one I... I kind of know a little bit more recently would be Abby because Abby is a little superstar in Hollywood. (laughs) She is, um, I, know I'm not really sure how this whole thing is with this holiday. I always want to, I always want to call it a holiday hot dish for some reason, (laughs) even though I know it's holiday hostage. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. We got to remember that one for Christmas (laughs) Christmas and Hanukkah. That would be really funny. Um, Minnesota as a Minnesota themed one for sure. Was she always like in the plays at school or? No, I and you know I we all love our kids. Yeah, uh, mine have done very unusual things. I think her first uh, passion for a number of years was dog sledding. She was a musher, and she handled other people's dogs, and she raced on junior sledding teams here in, this in, region, Minnesota? in Minnesota. Oh my gosh! And when it got to be where she wanted her own team of dogs, and we lived in a suburb, and we couldn't have a team of barking dogs <laughs> yeah. and all that. Um, the sled got hung up in the garage, and uh, she ended up being in a, in a play. Um, and then in her senior, the summer before her senior year, they often went off in the summer to some sort of program, and she found this acting academy, the American Academy for Dramatic Arts in Los Angeles, went there for a summer, came back and said, I want to graduate early, and I want to go to their three-year program. So she, the school helped her out with that, and she graduated in December, and at... 
uh, 17, I guess she was 17, moved to LA. Did she just tap into the right people? I mean, I think, no. isn't it like that? I thought it was kind of, I always felt like it was kind of like that. They're mm-hmm. the friends that I know that have gotten someplace there is you just kind of have to keep kind of finding the right person to... Well, we had some insurance in the sense that the the woman who uh, interviewed her for this program, her name's Terry Hayes, was a mom too. And she said to me, I know how hard this would be for you to let her go, but she promised me to watch over her. And you know what? She did. Wow. And, um, you know, she was, I forget what her position was in the school, Abby lived in an apartment by herself. Oh, geez, Louise. Um, but I went out there like every three months cool. for the first year. Cool. And she was just a very reliable sort. She is. She she makes good decisions. And so I felt very comfortable good. with her decisions. Um, and it worked out. And she's still cool. there in L.A. And, and she's happy. She, oh, You think yeah. she'll just continue down that path? You Absolutely. think that's where she, yeah. she's happy doing She's done she's other doing. things, too, that have been very interesting for her. But... Um, her passion is this, is certainly, this. Cool. at this time. Isn't that nice? Yeah. And it's nice because so. we can fell over things like that. Yeah. At, no. To watch our children do things that, you know, like, they're just going with their passion. Mm-hmm. And that's so awesome that they can just do that. Yeah. That just means we did it all right. <laughs> yeah, that's We're, up for question. And but, then, no, mm-hmm. no. you. But it worked you, out, I'll tell yeah, you that. And um, they chose the right path, and they... Are, they're doing their journey, and that's really cool. That's really cool for her. I would say that, you know, not everybody was always doing their <laughs> on the best path, maybe. But again, to my parents and yeah. to their dad's parents, just said, stick with them, stick with them, stick with them. You know, support them. Yeah, and it did work out because the relationships flourished. Is there anything else I should talk about with your business? Mm. I didn't ask. That we should talk about. No, I'll just say that I have a. You, there, there now are a lot of agencies, and and uh, interpreting is with spoken languages. You know, kind of big business, and I have a unique model, a, a small group model that does things differently, and it's. I love it. I love being able to manage my own work life. Yeah, and I feel like the life for the interpreters who work with me is also. Um, Uniquely, a uniquely good work situation, cool. and cool. I enjoy being able to employ people. Um, and I think being uh, an entrepreneur is in our blood. You know, Abby is my son. Joseph is my son. Aaron was in the military in a very entrepreneurial group. <laughs> he was in special forces. Oh, cool, um, cool. So. I, it's something we all really like cool. working for ourselves. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. It makes a little. You don't yeah. have to deal with anybody telling you what to do. Yeah, we teach each other a lot. And it's no fun sometimes. <laughs> How can people find you? Um, I don't know if I'm easy to find because we don't have phone books or anything anymore. But I'm Jill Hartman, and I'm at Jill Hartman at Gmail dot com. Yeah, and and there's a Facebook. There's you have Facebook. Yeah. Um, Not so, super active on it, but, but yeah, I can you be. You could probably be messaged and found. And, Certainly, yeah. um, Jill. Thank you so much for being on the show today with me. Well, thank this you. This was very fun. Mm-hmm. See, I got to learn a whole bunch more about you. Well, I love I've it. I've enjoyed and, it, as and well. about sign language, and about yeah. that world. You. Definitely made my mind open up in an area that was not opened up in it. So that's really cool. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, honey. Thanks for listening to Jubilations. May you go from strength to strength.